A couple of years ago, I took the congregation here through a series on the last week in the life of Jesus. And as we got near the very end, it would be the day that Jesus was crucified on Friday, I did talk about the idea of Pilate when Jesus was before him from the 19th chapter of John. What I want to do today, though, is I want to back up. When Jesus was taken to the Praetorium, to Pilate's Hall, and the events that transpired between verses 28 and 38. As a text, though, I've chosen beginning in verse 35. Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight, so that I should not be delivered to the Jews, but now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. Correctly read and barring any mistakes, reads those passages of Scripture that we read in the 18th chapter of the Gospel of John. Now, interestingly, when John in the Gospel uses the word the Jews or reference to the Jews, it's very important to understand what he meant. And divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit, when John wrote these things so long ago, he was not talking about the multiplicity of people with Jewish blood running through their veins, or even those that were proselytized or converted to Judaism. He was talking about the religious leaders that opposed Jesus Christ. And that's what he talks about when he says, when he talks about Jews, he's talking about those Jewish leaders. Now, bringing us to the point where he's taken to Pilate. In the middle of the night, he was taken to Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin. The next morning, he was taken again to Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin. Here's the question, though. Why did it bring Jesus to Pilate? Why did the people bring Jesus to Pilate? Understand this, though, in, the Jew, in this point in time in Jewish history. Not only the Jews, but all of Israel was under the thumb or under the oppression or under the governmental structure and authority of Rome. In fact, at this time, there was something that was ushered in, and it was called from Latin, Pax Romana. And that literally means Roman peace. And what that meant is, Rome allowed those subjects under it to have their own government. They could have their own courts. You know, the Jews could have that. They could have their own court system, their own legal system. But when it came to executing somebody, the right of the sword belonged only to Rome. And that was under the structure or under the idea of keeping Roman peace. Capital punishment had to be issued or ushered in by Rome. Now, if you go back a couple of chapters, remember Caiaphas. This is very important. Caiaphas said it's expedient that one man should die and a nation be spared. Now, do you remember the events that, that happened right before he said that? Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Now, put this in your mind. 
It doesn't say that Caiaphas heard that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. In other words, like a rumor. It states as fact that Caiaphas knew that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Do you remember what the men said when they went to Caiaphas? They said, it's no problem. It'll all go away. And Caiaphas said, no, you don't know what you're saying. It's good for one man to die and a nation to be spared. And at that point, Jesus Christ, the death of Jesus, was a plot. The religious trial was purely a mockery to carry out that plot. Accusations and indictments, there was nothing before Annas in the middle of the night. And it was really a joke and a plot to kill Jesus, remembering the right of the sword belonged to Rome. Now, why does it matter? Why does it matter? Well, first of all, understand that a Jewish execution would have been stoning. But in order for the Bible to be true, it had to be a crucifixion. And if it had to be a crucifixion, it had to be authorized or it had to be given by Rome. That's how Rome executed someone. Now let's just back up and let's talk about why. All the way back in the Old Testament in Numbers chapter 21, you remember when the people were bitten by serpents or snakes and they died. And all of a sudden, God gets their attention through that very act. So what do the people do? The people go to Moses and they said, Oh, pray to God that he takes away the snakes, that he takes away the serpents. You know, God doesn't take that away. You know why? Because the biting of the serpents represented sin. The serpent represented sin. And God didn't take away that sin without the means that he's going to talk about. What God told Moses to do is, I'm not going to take away the serpents. What I'm going to do is this. I'm going to tell you, you put a brazen serpent up on a pole. And when the people were bitten, whoever would look up to that pole, look up to that brazen serpent, it was a look of faith believing they would not die, they would live. In John chapter 3 and verse 14, I believe it says, Jesus says, as Moses in the wilderness as people looked up in the wilderness, that's how the Son of Man is going to be crucified. He'll be lifted up. It signified the kind of death that Jesus would die. In other words, it was a look of faith believing that took away sin in that regard, took away the serpent in that regard. Now, you know, it's interesting too. I, I talked about the idea of uh, a Jewish execution being stoning. One of the things that they accused Jesus of was blasphemy. And the reason that they accused him of blasphemy is because he said, I am the son of God. And by the way, the two things they hated about Jesus, one, he said, I'm the son of God, and two, the way he handled the Sabbath, and they hated him for it, especially those among the sect of the Pharisees. But in Leviticus, it says that a man that was actually guilty of blasphemy would be stoned to death. Now, it can't be a Jewish stoning. It has to be a crucifixion. Now, What's interesting to me is, is this law right here, Pax Romana, or Roman peace. And that law began in A.D. 30. Jesus was crucified in A.D. 33. Do you see the connection? Jesus starts his earthly ministry in A.D. 30. And for about three years until A.D. 33, that's when Jesus was on this earth and preaching as he went about in his life. Three years. 
The law changed in A.D. 30, so only Rome could execute someone legally, and he died in A.D. 33. There's really no, I don't think that's by accident at all. Now you might say, no, wait a minute, though, wait a minute, wait a minute. What about Stephen? You remember when Stephen stood before his accusers and they stoned him to death? So what about Stephen? You know, a stoning was a horrible thing. What about Stephen? That was different. With regards to Stephen, that was a mob reaction. It wasn't lawful. They broke the law. They were so angry, they broke the law. But it wasn't a legal execution. A legal execution could only come from Rome, and it began in AD 30. That's the reason that they were able to, or they did, stone Stephen. Now, what's ironic here, though, is Jesus, as one scholar said, was the friend of sinners, and he was shackled by the hate of sinners. And yet in this whole thing, what dominates the scene is his innocence. In fact, not once, not twice, but six times, Pilate said, I find no fault in him. Innocent. Completely innocent. You know, Pilate doesn't want the blood on his hands. He wants to say, I find no fault in him. The three parts of the religious trial were over. There was the trial before Annas, Caiaphas, and the Sanhedrin in the night. The next morning was the mock trial to try to legalize what they had done illegally at nighttime. And while it is early in the morning, they brought Jesus to Pilate for execution. Do you know why? They had to go to the Roman court. And the Roman court began at sunrise and it ended at sunset. So early that morning at dawn, here they come with Jesus. Now we go back to verse 28. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the praetorium, and it was early morning. But they themselves did not go into the praetorium, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. You know what's interesting here? This is really a classic case of hypocrisy. They don't want to go into the praetorium or the house of a Gentile, because they don't want to be defiled. We can't be defiled. You know why? Because we want to eat the Passover. Look at the hypocrisy, though. They take Jesus, and they're willing to kill the one that was the fulfillment of the Passover. That was Jesus Christ. You know, there was many times when Jesus dealt with aspects of their hypocrisy. We've talked about hypocrisy in great detail over the years. I'm just going to make this point. You remember what Jesus said to them? They were really good one time in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus points out, they were really good at even making a tithe of even the kitchen spices. Nine for me, one for God. Nine for me, one for God. In other words, things that they could be seen for. And Jesus says, what you're like is, this is what you're like, you're like one who strains out a gnat and swallows a camel. You know what's interesting about this? A gnat was the smallest of unclean things. A camel was the largest of unclean things. And the Bible says about unclean things, a clean animal, or one that they could eat, for example, would be one that chewed its cud and had a cloven hoof. Leviticus says that a camel chews its cud but does not have a cloven hoof. And the Bible says in the book of Leviticus, therefore a camel is unclean. Now, 
What did Jesus mean when he said you're straining out a net and swallowing a camel? You might remember this. They took a strainer cloth and put it over a, a vessel, or put it over a cup, and they would pour the beverage through the strainer cloth. You know why? They didn't even want a little tiny gnat to get in there. One scholar said some of these fastidious Jews would even drink the beverage through clenched teeth to keep the bug from going down their throat. Jesus says, by the way that you are, you know what you are? You're straining out a gnat, but you're swallowing a camel. He hits him again in Matthew 23. Here he goes, the greatest preacher ever. He said, you know what you're like? You're like whitewashed tombs. And by the way, what a fitting example around the time that we're talking about right now. Passover time. Because in Jerusalem around Passover time, after the rains, and everything would be washed clean, they would take lime powder and mix it with water, and they would go to all the tombs, and they would whitewash the tombs with that lime powder that they mixed with water. Do you know why? Because the Bible says under the Old Testament that a man that would touch a grave would be ceremonially unclean for seven days. Therefore, it's Passover time. We don't want our visitors, millions of people perhaps, to come into Jerusalem and be unclean at Passover time so they whitewash the tombs. Jesus said to them, that's what you are on the outside. But inside, you're just dead men's bones. You're just a grave with dead men's bones. That's what you are. You know, I get this idea as they come to the praetorium, they're doing the same thing. They don't want to enter. They're not going in. Oh, no, we don't want to go to the house of a Gentile. But we're willing to kill the Messiah, the fulfillment of the Passover. You are dead men's bones. Now, in the next verse, Pilate then went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? Pilate knew that Jesus was innocent. Pilate really was no dummy. He was very smart. The problem that Pilate had was Pilate was a coward. It takes courage to stand in the face of opposition. And it takes courage to stand in the face of opposition, especially when that opposition can do you harm in any way. I don't want to have any harm done my way. It's easy to have courage when there's no ramifications for the choice, right? So here it is, Pilate looks out, and they couldn't bring Jesus in because they don't want to be defiled. So he looks out and he says, what accusation do you bring against him? Now notice this though, in chapter 19 and verse 12, from then on Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out saying, if you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. You know, really what they're doing is, is they're blackmailing him, kind of like, we're going to tell on you. We're going to tell on you, and later we're going to get to this. Jesus says, I'm a king. So therefore, they bring that accusation. And what they're saying to Pilate is, oh, Pilate, you know there's only one king. There's only one king, Pilate. You better do the right thing, Pilate. And they were blackmailing him to do the right thing. In other words, if you want to keep your job, you got to do the right thing here. But notice this right here. What accusation do you bring against this man? And by the way, this is the first fair thing ever stated regarding the trial of Jesus. 
What did he do wrong? What accusation do you bring against this man? But you know, they didn't want a trial. They wanted an execution. And that's why they went to Pilate. Also, verse 30. They answered and said to him, If he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him up to you. What an amazing way to respond. Pilate says, what's the accusation? You know what they said? There was no accusation, by the way. See what they said? Oh, you knew how we are. You know how we are. We're great men of character. We wouldn't have brought him to you had he not been an evildoer. Skirting the issue in that way. They don't answer the question. They just say, if he wasn't an evildoer, we wouldn't have brought him to you. There was no answer because there was no accusation. They don't have a charge that would hold up in a Roman court. And this is that point about blasphemy that I mentioned just a moment ago. You know, they can say all they want to about blasphemy. They can say that he is guilty of blasphemy because he said, I'm the son of God. But do you know this? That charge does not hold up at all to a Roman court. Rome didn't care about that. They didn't care about that at all. So nothing could be stated about that. He was perfect. He is without sin. He would die for our sins and not his own. He was perfect in every way. And that brings us to verse 31 and 32. Then Pilate said to them, you take him and judge him according to your law. Therefore the Jews said to him, it is not lawful to put anyone to death. That the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spoke, signifying by what death he would die. Here's a point of reference as Jesus is speaking, really, as a prophetic God. Here's a point of reference in Mark 10 and verse 32. Now, they were on the road, and by the way, this is before John 18. Now, when they were on the road going to Jerusalem... And Jesus was going before them, and they were amazed, and as they followed, they were afraid. Then he took the twelve aside again and began to tell them the things that would happen to him. Then the next verse, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles. Now, Jesus speaks concerning these very things that are going to happen. So now we go back to John 18 and verse 31. Then Pilate said to them, you take him and judge him according to your law. Therefore the Jews said to him, it's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. You know, you've heard me say this over the years, and I really think it's a point worth making at all times. Jesus Christ was no man's victim. He was no man's victim. That's what makes his sacrifice even better. It's one thing to just willfully submit to something that comes your way. That's one thing. But for someone to be like Jesus, who could dictate the whole thing and be totally in charge and totally in control and set aside that and then die for the sins of the world, that makes the sacrifice even greater. Now watch what happens. Pilate knows that Jesus is innocent, so Pilate says, you take him and judge him according to your law. In other words, Pilate was saying, I'm giving you the right to break the law. You decide. And then they said, it's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. Then in verse 32, 
that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spoke, signifying but what death he would die. You know, Jesus spoke about this in John chapter 12, and verse 32. He said, and if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. Now, I heard somebody say one time that what this means is this. If practically I lift Jesus up in my life, and if Christians would lift Jesus up in their life, it will draw all people unto Jesus Christ. And I suppose that's true um, in a separate and apart sense. But that's not what the Lord meant here. And the reason that I know that's not what the Lord meant is because after he says, and if I be lifted up from the earth on the cross, is what he was speaking of, I will draw all peoples to myself. Verse 33 says, this signifying the manner of death that he would die. He had to be lifted up, totally in control. Pilate says, go ahead, do it yourself. They said, oh, no, we can't do that. This is one of those times when God uses the wrath of men to praise him. He was a perfect man. He's the prophetic God in every way. And now we look also in verses 33 through 37. And in this group of scriptures, John exalts Jesus really as a supernatural king. The Jews finally came up with something that they thought would stick. They thought, I got one. In fact, in Luke chapter 23, listen to this in verse 2. Luke said, and they began to accuse him, saying, we found this fellow perverting the nation. That's a lie. Forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar. That's a lie. Saying that he himself is Christ a king. And that's the one thing that they thought we got him on. Now, picture this. Picture this. When Jesus is portrayed as someone that's going to come in as a revolutionary. And he's going to come in and do something by way of a revolt. That's the only thing that might have touched the mind of Pilate. That's it. That's the only thing. In fact, they said this too at one point. They said, we have no king but Caesar. And what's interesting is the Jews absolutely hated Caesar. But they said, we have no king but Caesar. And so when Jesus was claiming, or they said he was claiming to be an earthly king, then the idea was he's going to start a revolution. And by the way, let's back up a little bit. Do you remember when Jesus was coming into Jerusalem a week ago? And he's going through it, headed toward Jerusalem. And there were people that were following with him. Do you know that there were many people that followed Jesus because they thought that once he got to Jerusalem, he would establish an earthly kingdom? And when he did, maybe it would remove the oppression of Rome and lift that thumb of repression over off of them once and for all. An earthly kingdom. They didn't get it. So he's accused of perhaps starting a revolution. So now in verse 33. Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? You know what's interesting at first glance? It seems like he's just asking him a question. Really, it does. In the English language, and you can look at all the translations, and it just appears like he's asking him a question. But there's so much more. It doesn't say it like this in the Greek. In the Greek, it says this. You are the king of the Jews. Did you get that? He wasn't saying, are you the king of the Jews? He's saying, you, you. The king of the Jews. In other words, it's ludicrous in his mind as he looks out and he sees Jesus, you, the king of the Jews, standing there with a garment of a peasant. 
You, the king of the Jews, standing before me with hands bound. You don't look like a king to me. They said he's the king of the Jews. He said that he was the king of the Jews. He said, you, the king of the Jews. It's unbelievable to Pilate. It's unbelievable. But here's the dilemma. If Jesus says, yes, I'm a king, the problem is Pilate only understood an earthly king. So he would lead the Jews in a revolt. If he said, I'm not a king, he would deny his kingship. So he qualifies the question. This is how he responds. Jesus answered him, are you speaking for yourself about this or did others tell you this concerning me? Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. He clarifies the question. Pilate said, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. And then he said this, please get this. What have you done? You know, I didn't know this until I studied some history about this. But you know, Pilate broke the law right here. Pilate broke the law. It was kind of a Fifth Amendment deal that we might relate to. But here's really the point. In other words, the Fifth Amendment says that you don't have to say something that will incriminate yourself. Okay? You plead the Fifth. You don't incriminate yourself. But it's more. There was a law, a Roman law, that stated you could not be executed, you could not be convicted based upon your own testimony of yourself. In other words, there was no other testimony, there was no other accusation that stood up. So finally he said this, what have you done? Give me the charges. An illegal question. And a desperate question too. You couldn't be condemned by your own testimony. And Jesus said this, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. You know, earthly kings are appointed by the people, right? They're appointed by the people. When King Saul was appointed, he was the people's choice. God didn't choose King Saul. The people chose King Saul because King Saul was head and shoulders above everyone. He was uh, one of the men, the four men in the Bible that are uh, spoken of as handsome and built well. He wanted to be a king or they wanted to have a king that was like all the other nations. And he stood up above everyone. So they picked him. That was the people's choice. Okay. God chose David. That was God's choice. And the Bible says that Jesus would be a king like David. And in many ways, he was a king like David. And I don't have time to go into all of those things. But I will say this. He was a king like David specifically here in that he was God's choice. Jesus was God's choice to be king. King of kings and Lord of lords. You know, really, when they were in the garden... And they came to arrest Jesus. This whole thing plays out because Malchus pulls out his sword and he cuts off the right ear, or uh, Peter pulls out his sword and cuts off Malchus's right ear. And when he does so, Jesus puts it back on. And he told Peter, put your sword away. For they that lives by the sword shall also perish by the sword. 
Jesus also said that if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. He could have called down 12 legions of angels and put a stop to the whole matter. I appreciated our brother leading that song in Pilate's Hall that we just, guilty of loving me, that we just sung. Thousands of angels hovering nigh, waiting to hear the Lord's faintest cry. But Jesus instead chose the cross, willingly and willfully. You know why? His kingdom was not of this world. Then verse 37. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I've come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. I want to spend a little time on breaking this passage down. For the first thing we want to notice is this. It is when Jesus says, for this cause I was born. Okay. Well, the born part is the human side. Everybody that's human is born. But the Bible talks about Jesus as being the son of man, meaning fully human. Our Messiah was fully human. That's this part. He was to be a king, and for this cause, he was born in human form. What else? He says also, for this cause, I have come into the world. This is the divine side. In other words, if Jesus came into the world, it means that he existed somewhere else before. If I come into the world, I have to come from somewhere. And that somewhere was heaven. That's the divine side. That's why Jesus is called the Son of Man and the Son of God, both. In John chapter 17 and verse 5, this shows that Jesus existed before. And now, O Father, glorify me with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. The Bible also says that in the beginning was the Word, John chapter 1. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Verse 14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus tells him in this little sermon, he's preaching to Pilate, I came to be born into this world to be king. For this cause I left where I came from to be king. I am fully divine. And then back in this passage again, the end of this passage, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Jesus is the great proclaimer of truth. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father except by or through me, John 14 and 6, the great disclaimer of truth. One scholar said this, to know Jesus is to know the truth, and Jesus is the king, and his scepter is truth. But notice this, Pilate said, what is truth? Have you ever heard somebody say, truth is relative? In other words, what you think is truth is okay for you, but what's truth to me is okay for me. And everybody determines what their own truth is going to be. I want you to notice Pilate is doing that very thing. In fact, when he said, what is truth? It literally means 
Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. That's what Jesus said. When he says, what is truth? He's referring to this. He's saying this. There is no such thing as truth. Now, what's it mean to hear? The word hear in the Greek literally means to listen intently and obey. So to hear the truth is to obey the truth. Remember one time when Jesus gave a little lesson after he gave a parable? He said, be careful how you listen. In other words, take heed how you hear. The way you hear the word of God will determine your spiritual condition. One of those ways is obediently. You cannot hear properly without the idea of obedience. And that's what he was telling him. That's what Jesus was telling him. There's no truth outside of Jesus Christ. He went out again to the Jews and said to him, I find no fault in him. Everyone who's of the truth hears my voice, which means intently listen and obey. And then also this. He said simply this, I find no fault in him. You know, many times I've tried to put my mind, in my mind's eye, I've tried to go back to how it was for Pilate. Jesus appears to be on trial. The religious trial is over and he seems to be in this other trial with Pilate. And Pilate has the authority and the power to let him go or crucify him. He's got the power. But have you ever stopped to consider there's no indictment, there's no accusation. Jesus really wasn't on trial here. Pilate was. In fact, in chapter 19, we find Pilate's failing proposals to try to let him go. He knew he was innocent. He knew he wasn't guilty. But the people said, crucify him. And he gave in. So a long time ago, Jesus standing before Pilate in Pilate's hall starts the events that we talked about today. And the question is this, though. Here's the question for all of us today. What's your response to that? You know, when Jesus died on the cross for your sins, it means nothing to you if you don't respond to the gospel. Whether the gospel saves or offends is your response to it. The gospel is the good news of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So what is your response to that? If you're here, for example, and you are hearing the word of God preached, and you're hearing about Jesus, the invitation being extended, maybe you've heard the invitation over and over again, but here it is again. What is your response going to be? You must hear the word of God, believe in Jesus, repent of your sins, confess his name as the Son of God, and be baptized in water for the remission of your sins, and contact the blood of Jesus, and have your sins washed away. What is your response to what Jesus did for you so long ago? We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.